right. Thanks, Ryan, for reading for us. All right. So what are you guys' favorite types of books to read? Types of books. Favorite. Genre. Stuff. Fantasy. Medieval fantasy. What's that? <laughs> Ones you're not required to read. Yes. Okay, what's the best? Yeah, go ahead. Historical fiction, nice. What, what, what's the best part of a book for you? When do you like, really? <laughs> the characters, getting to know the characters and the development of that, yeah? Great answer. So Drew's saying the climax of the book, okay? Okay? <laughs> the final battle scene, right? Like, because the whole book's kind of been building up to that, right? And this is where we, we figure it out. Good. So many people, I think, you know, I've always called that part of the book the point of no return, which is that part where, you know, you pick up that book and you read it for half an hour here and there, but then there's that point when you read that book for three hours straight because you've po- reached the point of no return. And you just you have to see what happens at the end of the book. You can't put it down. You need to know, okay? Um, Ecclesiastes is not like one of those books. Just see it. We're going to talk about um, Ecclesiastes. We're nearing the end, believe it or not. Chapter 8, 9, there's 12 chapters. We're nearing the end. Um, and so I read this quote on what type of a book Ecclesiastes is. It said this, it is not the kind of book that we keep reading until we reach the end and get the answer. Right? That's kind of why we like that climax, because it kind of gives us the answer to the book. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings, there's these two good, there's good, there's evil, there's all these characters coming together. What's going to happen? The answer comes at the end, right? Who's going to prevail? Well, Ecclesiastes is not a book where we get the answer. Um, instead, it is a book in which we keep struggling with the problems of life. And as we struggle, we learn to trust God with the questions, even when we do not have all the answers. So it's a book that's teaching us to struggle with the questions of life and come out not with the answers to those questions, and yet we're supposed to still come out trusting God. This is how the Christian life works. Listen to this. It is not just about what we get at the end, but also about what we become along the way. So Christian life is not just about the end of the story. It's not like you became a Christian, blah, 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 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of just waiting, and then we get to the end, and then that's what really matters. There's something happening along the way. Discipleship is a journey and not merely a destination. So Ecclesiastes is kind of walking us through that path, that path of questions and wrestling with life and why it is the way it is, and yet we're supposed to develop a trust in God through that, um, knowing that that's kind of the point. So many people stay away from God because they have unanswered questions in life. Many people stay away from God because they have unanswered questions in life. Do you know anyone like this, maybe? Maybe you are one of these people. That'd be something to think about. Maybe you're one of these people who hasn't gone all in on your parents' faith with what we do here on Sundays and Wednesdays, 
Because you have unanswered questions, that there's things that cause turmoil within you as you think about why the world is the way it is and why God does things the way he does things. And until you feel like you really can get an answer, you don't feel like you're ready to go all in. Maybe that's one of those things that's holding you back from baptism. We talk about baptism in here often because it's a really important step in the faith of a Christian where they're deciding that they're going to go all in with their faith. Maybe that's one of those things that's holding you back. And you're thinking, when I get these questions answered, that's when I'll take that next step. What do you guys think are some of the unanswered questions that might keep people away from God? What types of things keep us away from God because they trouble us because we don't have the answer to them? Like, why doesn't God accept people for the way that they are? Great. Yeah, so we got pain, we've got suffering. We live in a world right now where like acceptance is huge for everyone's form of lifestyle. I was just commenting to the youth staff the other day that there's a new Jared's commercial out there where it shows a man proposing to a man with a ring. And then it shows a woman who gets down on her knee and proposes to a man. And then it shows all these different ways of doing it that it used to be just that the man proposed to the woman, right? You get a ring and that's how it works. And we're being encouraged from all different realms of life, even commercials, to be more accepting, and that causes people a lot of turmoil. We have, I know I have people in my life that I really love, and that's probably one of the hardest things for them to get over in why I believe what I believe and why they believe what they believe. Their relationship with God is a good one. Anything else? What types of questions keep us away from God? Trinity, how can you say you have one God, but then it splits up into three, and then those three combined back into one, but they're each separate entities. Yeah. Yeah, understanding the Trinity. Good. Uh-huh. Predestination versus free Yeah. Great. Predestination and free will. Yep. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Good. Uh-huh. Why are there so many people that serve a good God? Say that one more time. Why are there so many yeah, why are there evil people who you know, claim to serve a good God in their evilness? Good. Well, in typical form, the preacher in Ecclesiastes tackles these types of questions in life that make life seem unfair, okay? So we're going to look, again, at more observations that he has under the sun. And just a reminder, under the sun, life apart from God's grace. That's the perspective. So troubling questions in the midst of life under the sun. And we're going to do so in three different images, okay? And the first image I want us to have in mind is fog. So we're going to draw that up here. You guys know what fog is, right? Frogs. We're going to talk about frogs. Why is fog an appropriate image for Ecclesiastes? It's hard to see. Hevel. Hevel. Nice, right? So we've got this word hevel in Hebrew, which is translated as meaningless, right? Or vanity, or it really means smoke or vapor or fog would fall in that category, right? Because it's something you can see, but when you try to grab it, what happens? It goes right through your fingers, right? Okay, so we're going to enter the fog, Okay, so as long as you keep your focus on these questions, these types of things that we just talked about and the questions that we're going to see here that make light, 
life seem unfair, you'll never be able to enjoy life. That's what we're going to see here, okay? So have your Bibles open. Have them in front of you. You're going to need to look at them. I know this is thick, so you're really going to have to like turn. Okay, everyone, turn on your brain. If it wasn't on, take, take the switch. Turn it on. Turn on your brain, okay? And here we go. We'll take it just a little bit at a time. And here's the question we're going to ask. What observations is he making in these passages that make life seem foggy? What observations make life seem kind of foggy? So we'll start with 8.16. Here we go. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night does one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. What is foggy here? What causes the preacher trouble? Kind of thick here, isn't it? Bringing up a couple things. Focus on 17. What is it that troubles him? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that um, man can't understand what God Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That man can't understand what God is doing. So then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Now, when it says can't find out, that doesn't mean we can't see what's happening around us, right? We can see what's happening around us. But we can't see the deeper purpose underneath it, can we? Right? Now, we know that the Bible teaches us a lot about why God does what he does and why the world is the way it is and sin and Christ and all that. But what we're saying is, ultimately, I can't tell you why it is that my friends had a miscarriage and lost their baby and I, my family didn't. Right? Ultimately, I don't know why God did it that way. Ultimately, I don't know why it snowed on our rent-a-student day when it would have been nice to you know, make some funds for our winter camp. God had a purpose in it. What was that? Just make the turkey bowl so much more fun, right? So whatever it is, there's, there's a fogginess to life because we can't see why God does every little thing in our life. Have you been in a car accident before? Raise your hand. Okay. Have you woken up late because your alarm didn't go off? Okay. Have you spilled ketchup on your pants during school? Have you fallen off your bunk bed during your sleep? We don't know why God lets these things happen, right? If we believe that... God's really in control. And notice that he does believe God's in control. He does believe God's in control. He holds God accountable for these things. But at the end of the day, he's saying, it's foggy. We can't figure out why everything happens the way it happens. Okay, so that's one part of the fog. Let's look at 9, 1 through 3. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous 
and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. What is it that troubles the preacher here? Where is the fogginess caused? same events happen to everyone. What type of events do you think we have in mind? What types of things happen to everyone? Death. Death happens to everyone. And we're going to actually get to that one specifically in just a minute. Yeah? Yeah, car crashes, injuries. I mean, we just talked about the forest fires. Did, did we get a report out of Paradise, California that all the churchgoers' homes miraculously survived and all those wicked sinners' homes were burned to the ground? Nope, just whole town wiped out. Okay, so life is foggy in that the same events happen to everyone, whether they are good people, bad people, or they they really like love their families and take care of them. You know, men who love their families and take care of them still lose their jobs, as the same as guys who live only for themselves and, and are selfish. Same thing happens to everyone. That can make life feel a little bit foggy. Okay? Well, let's keep going. So that's nine um, through three. Let's pick up at four here. Oh, wait, no, let's not. Let's jump down to 11. Because we're going to focus on four through 10 in just a minute here. So jump down to verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. What, how does that make life foggy? What's he saying? Exactly. So something that makes life foggy is that 
Life doesn't work like you'd expect it to. So you got David and you got Goliath, right? Here's a guy who's just like covered in armor and muscles and humongous. And he gets beat by a little shepherd boy. That doesn't seem fair. You guys play sports? Have you ever been on the team that was like the powerhouse and you're going up against a team that was, you know, the bottom of the league or something like that? And somehow they come away with the win? Doesn't seem fair. Okay, so life doesn't work like you'd expect. You have people who, I mean, think about, I, I, I'm oftentimes thinking about the refugee crisis, okay? So think about people who live in war-torn countries who have spent their whole life, you know, getting a medical degree or, or a lawyer's degree and they've poured time and energy and money into having a, a successful career and then civil war breaks out and they have to run away and go to a different country that doesn't recognize their degrees and, you know, pump gas for a living or something to help take care of their family. That, that doesn't seem fair. They get to be bossed around by some, like, 20-year-old kid who skipped out of high school and hasn't really worked hard his whole life. That doesn't seem fair, okay? So life doesn't work like you'd expect, and that makes life foggy. Let's look at verse 12. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. What makes life foggy there? What are we talking about there? We're talking about, you know, when you're walking to school and someone hooks you with a fish line? <laughs> yes? Death. death, right? So we're talking about death. We're not talking about walking to school and have a net thrown over your head and you're just kind of like, ah! <laughs> So we're talking about death, and what, what specifically about death makes life foggy? Yeah. Death comes as a surprise. Is there another R? I always put an R. There's not an R, right? There is. There is. There is. There is. <laughs> Face, if you can <laughs> <laughs> Two master's degrees can't spell surprise, all right. <laughs> Death comes as a surprise. Spelling was never my gifting. <laughs> it comes as a surprise and it comes to all, right? So death comes as a surprise. Death comes to all. I, I want to point out that I knew I'm not talking to anyone here except that one in the back. So. Okay, so death comes as a surprise. Death comes to all, and that makes life foggy. You know, this hit home with me just the other day as I, you know, obviously I'm in the hospital getting surgery, get my gallbladder out, and I go to the follow-up appointment, and she's just kind of like running through the normal things that you talk about at a follow-up appointment. And one of the things she said to me was she said, yeah, and, you know, we did all the tests on your, you know, the gallbladder that we took out of you, you know, and it wasn't this, there was no cancer, blah, blah, blah. 
And it just hit me as she said that. That was like, there are some people who go to this meeting and they say, by the way, there's cancer in that gallbladder that we just took out of you. And just, I'm just sitting there thinking like, here I am running around with my day. I'm behind because I took a week off to have surgery. And this is just an appointment on my calendar. 3.30, got to get to the doctor's office. You know, look at me. Am I alive? Am I okay? Then I, you know, I've got an appointment after this. I got to keep working on my sermon after this. That, that was my day. And to think that I could have just sat there and she said, could have said, and by the way, there's cancer in your gallbladder. And that's what pe- that, that's the report that people get, you know, just going about life. Everything's normal. No intentions of dying. And by the way, you have cancer. Just amazing how quickly that comes upon us. And we don't think about it at all. We just think we're going to live forever for some reason. Even though we know we aren't, we act like we are. So life is foggy. And here are some of the reasons why. So what do we get from the preacher to help us in the midst of the fog? Well, before we talk about that, let me ask this. Are you caught in the fog? Are these the questions or issues that are troubling you? And obviously it doesn't have to be those in that little circle there. There's all sorts of questions and issues in the book of Ecclesiastes. But are you living in the fog? Are you, is your head so in the cloud of the questions of life that you aren't going all in and following God in your relationship with him? You're so focused on the unfairness of life and the way that God has made things that it's keeping you from actually living life. That's something we should ask ourselves. So what hope do we have? Well, he gives us a lighthouse in the midst of the fog, okay? So I didn't practice this ahead of time, but got our lighthouse here. I don't know how lighthouses are. That's a light. Who said no? Wait, I'm going to swirl here. <laughs> It's a... What's the purpose of a lighthouse? Make sure the ships don't crash, right? They're, they're, they're to give hope to the ships in the midst of the storm, the fog, right? Okay, It's in foggy conditions. These are, these are put in places where there's you know, heavy fog mist where we don't see the cliffs and the rocks and things like that, okay? And there are cliffs and rocks in the midst of the fogs of our life, okay? So we have a lighthouse. Okay, so let's look at verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. Here's what he says. But he who is joined with all the living has what? Hope. Hope. He has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You guys all know that proverb, right? What does that mean? How is a living dog better than a dead lion? Exactly. Like everybody knows, lions are better than dogs. No. Right? No. Definitely. No. Well, if you actually go back to this day and age, 
Lions were a sign of nobility, okay? It was actually the lion that was the crest of David, okay? Dogs are not considered, this is the still, still how they're considered over in the East, actually, um, but dogs are not considered pets, they're considered filth, okay? They, they're scavengers, they just run around the city and, and they're dirty and they carry diseases, so that's, that's the comparison we have. That's why Goliath, when he says to David, you know, do you come to me with sticks like I'm a dog? He wasn't thinking of like a German shepherd who's just, not a German shepherd, what was I thinking? Golden retriever, German shepherds will eat your face off. <laughs> Golden retriever, like, oh, I'm your best friend. No, he's saying, you think I'm like some worthless dog in the city that you come to me with a stick? So dog is bad, but Ecclesiastes is saying, it's better to be vermin in the city that's alive than to be the most noble creature known to man. Why? Because living is better than being dead. So let's talk about that here. So living is better than being dead. Why? Well, he tells us that the dead have reached the end of their path, if we keep reading. It says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Your brain's turned off, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no, sh- no more share in all that is done under the sun. I think that's a helpful phrase for us at the end. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. In other words, when you're dead, that's all. You don't have any more share in what happens on this earth. You know, the, all those ghost stories about ghosts having unfinished business, those aren't true. There aren't ghosts that have unfinished business because when you die, your business is finished, whether you like it or not. Okay? That's what he's saying. So it's better to be alive. So the lighthouse, the hope that he gives us is this. Even though it's foggy, at least you're alive. Better yet, you're alive with the knowledge that death is coming. Look at what it says in verse uh, 5. For the living know that they will die. This is powerful. If you live life with the knowledge that you're going to die... It helps you to live a better life. Live like you know you're going to die, not like you think you will never die. Have you ever thought about what does it look like to die well? What does it look like to live life knowing that you're going to die? Well, it doesn't mean that you're just like super morbid and you know you goth out and you wear black makeup or whatever it is. You sit at home with the curtains drawn thinking horribly morbid thoughts. It means that you actually start living. It means knowing death comes, it means that you actually start enjoying the life that God has given you. And that's exactly the preacher's point throughout Ecclesiastes here. What is it that people always say when they near death? I wish that I would have done X, Y, and Z. I wish I would have enjoyed life. I wish I would have slowed down. I wish I would have kissed my wife more often or played with my grandkids. I wish I would have not been so caught up in the rat race and making money and paying bills. That's the type of thing we hear time and again when people face death. And so the hope that we're given in the midst of the fog of life questions is this. At least you're living and you're living with the knowledge that one day you'll die and that should give you hope and purpose to actually live life. So how do we do that? How do we sail through life? This is out of time. Normally I would draw a better one. (laughs) How do we sail through life in the midst of the fog with the lighthouse as our hope? We'll read verses 7 through 10. We're almost done. Go, he says, 
Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, that's the place of the dead, that's the Hebrew word for where dead people go, to which you are going. So how do we sail through the fog? Well, we look at that lighthouse and we say, we're alive, we're living. We have a chance to live knowing that death is coming. And so the preacher says, here's what you need to do. He says, go, seize the day, get up and stop pondering the fog. Stop brooding over all the answers that you don't have and enjoy good food, eat and drink. Take care of yourself. That's what white clothes and oil means. That's the opposite of sackcloth and ashes. That's what people put on when they were mourning. Have a happy life. Get dressed up. Put on perfume. Put on cologne. Some are better than others. Okay? Axe does have a limit at which you should stop spraying it. I'm just going to put that out there. Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. Okay? Enjoy relationships. Here he's talking about husband and wife. He's talking about the closest relationship most of you will have. Okay? But it can apply to any relationship. Enjoy the relationships that God has given you. Enjoy the work that God has given you. Take that work that he's given you and work hard at it. Do a good job at the work God's given you. In other words, live now. Don't let life pass by as you just sit in a fog with questions and brooding. Instead, take life and live it. Now, the problem with our world is that most of the time, the way that we apply take life and live it is not in admirable ways, right? right? So you have the One Direction song, you know, live while you're young. And what's the refrain? We're going to go crazy, crazy, crazy till we see that song. Yeah. Is, that, is that living life? We're just going to go crazy. It talks about a boy and a girl who are going to like pretend like they're in love and maybe it'll happen, but live for tonight because it's only tonight. No, I don't know if that's really what Ecclesiastes is getting at here. Okay, Here's some better quotes than One Direction. Um, life between now and then looks like a life lived well. If one day you will be dead, then live today. If you do not know when you will be dead, live now while you can. The path of wisdom along life's road is to enjoy the gifts God has given you, the simple things that give you pleasure. This is what we keep hearing from Ecclesiastes. Life is a gift. God is the one who's given it to you. Enjoy it. Love your life. Live it to the full. Ride a bike. See the Grand Canyon. Go to the theater. Learn to make music. Visit the sick. Care for the dying. Cook a meal. Feed the hungry. Watch a film. Read a book. Laugh with friends until you cry. Play football. Run a marathon. Snorkel in the ocean. Listen to Mozart. Ring your parents. Write a letter. Play with your kids. Spend your money. Learn a language. Plant a church. Start a school. Speak about Christ. Travel to somewhere you've never been. Adopt a child. Give away your fortune. And then some shape someone else's life by laying down your own. That's a quote from this book as well. He says this, Dying people who truly know they are dying are among all people the most alive. They are not here to live forever. They are here to live for now, for today. And most of all, they are here to live with and for others. 
And all of this comes back to that phrase in verse 7, for these are things that God, God has approved these things. These are a gift from God. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Did you know that? That God made you to enjoy life and he takes pleasure in your pleasure. A merry heart, a happy heart is a heart that God approves. Now we have one warning that we need to hold on to in the midst of something like this. Because where can we go wrong with this? What do you guys think? What's that? Well, give me a direction. What, what's... Just one direction. Give me a direction. How can we go wrong with this? Okay. Maybe just like going after it as soon as you can. Right, so we don't want to live like a no-consequences lifestyle because ultimately, who are we living for then? Are we living for God? We're living for ourselves, right? The problem with this is that every single one of these things, food, clothes, perfume, the way you look, your wife, your relationships, your work, all of those can become idols, can't they? So if you live for those things, ultimately, you're going to lose them. None of those things are actually going to satisfy you. But when you enjoy those things as a gift from God... That's the point. So two questions, we're going to be done. Do you enjoy life like this? What keeps you from enjoying the good things that God has given you? That's question one. What keeps you from enjoying the good things God has given you? Is it just you're so worried about what other people think? You're stuck in the fog? Questions of life? What keeps you from enjoying them? And second, how do we enjoy these things without making them an idol? So let's just focus on food because Thanksgiving is coming up. Okay? (laughs) Thanksgiving's coming up. How can you eat Thanksgiving dinner to the glory of God? Well, you enjoy it as a gift from God, don't you? The fact that you have this smorgasbord of wonderful fatty food in front of you is a gift from God. And that you have family around the table to enjoy it is a gift from God. And the fact that you get to go lie down on a couch and watch football afterwards is a gift from God. And you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to think about the starving kid in Africa. You don't have to think about all those who are going without. It's good to have those things in mind. But life as a Christian isn't simply one to feel bad that we have good things. We're actually supposed to enjoy them as gifts from God. And when we enjoy those things as a gift from God, we're actually preparing our hearts to go to heaven. Last quote, those without Christ often abandon themselves to eating and drinking because sometimes it looks as if that's all there is to do before we die. Eat, drink, you're going to die. But those who love Christ cherish eating and drinking because it looks a little like what we will do after we die. The gifts are from the real country. They're from heaven. They smell and taste and feel like home. When we get to heaven, we're going to feast. And so when we feast on earth, it should be something that gets us excited for the fact that we're going to feast in heaven. It's a foretaste of what's coming. So let's pray. We'll finish up for today. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to live out of the fog and see the hope of the lighthouse and to sail through it knowing that you've given us so many things that we should enjoy them as a gift from you, trusting um, that you will sail us safely home where we will enjoy them with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.